0: I just play doctor online and uh, where do I start where do I begin how about I start here if you happen to be lucky enough to live in Minneapolis uh, and you are living in Minneapolis and are in Minneapolis until uh, May uh, yeah it's May May 28th you really ought to do yourself a favor and head over to the minneapolis institute of art and check out the d uh, the guillermo del toro uh, a home let's see no at home with monsters that's what it's called i have a i have a free pass right here right here in my hand um, if this was any kind of a radio show i'd have a contest to give away this free pass but it's not, and my wife wouldn't let me give it away because she's kind of thinking of maybe heading down there again to take a look at the show one more time. It is awesome. Okay. Now, of course, it's a visual thing, so I'll just have to do my best in describing what was so awesome about it. Now, who is Guillermo del Toro? He's a filmmaker. He uh, uh, He's made the uh, the two... Hellboy movies, Uh, let's see, what are the movies? Pan's Labyrinth, oh, that's an excellent one. Uh, It's just uh, just an excellent one, Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, and uh, Devil's Backbone. He's done that one, and there's other movies that he's worked on, either uh, directing and writing or doing some you know production parts or something of that. And apparently his work has uh, uh, done really well for him because he can afford to own a lot of really excellent original art, just really excellent stuff, and sculptures, and wax figures. I I don't know. Are they wax? I don't know what they're made of. But I, I get the feeling it's kind of like what you would see at, uh, at a wax museum. Uh, but maybe it's not exactly that. But it looks they look real. Now I'll get to it all in due course. Now, I say that you have to be lucky enough to live in Minneapolis. Because so far, as far as I know, the show, this show was exhibited first in, in Los Angeles, California. And then it went from there to here in Minneapolis. And from here, it'll end up going to somewhere in, in Ontario, Canada. And then after that, it, the plan is to take it to Mexico, which is his home country, and, and exhibit it there. But Amy and I were just talking about this. It's just, how, did, how did Minneapolis get so lucky to get this exhibit? Because, I mean, why not Chicago? Why not New York? Now, maybe there's plans in the future to expand where this this exhibit heads to but uh, thus far those are the places that i know of of where it might go and um guillermo del toro has a has a he's one of those directors and producers and, and filmmakers that has a real style to his his work that has a like a signature, you know. Like you, you would recognize a, a Timothy Burton movie when you see one, because you know they all have. There's a there's a something about his his vision that comes into his movies. You know that the way he presents his his characters and what the way they look and the designs. You know that so there's there's a way of telling that it's a it's a Tim Burton film. Well, Guillermo del Toro does the same thing. He has this. There's a way about it, and it's very macabre. He'll do this, you know, horror aspects to it. And you know, it's like the the thing is called At Home with Monsters. And on the little pass that we have is a picture of, of Del Toro, and behind him is uh is a this is where I think me I don't know if it's a wax figure or not, but life size of of Boris Karloff's Frankenstein's monster. And it's it's really cool. Um he, so it's he. Apparently, he's got this house that he's kind of turned into sort of a Edwardian mansion kind of thing, which he's filled with all this uh, memorabilia from from the movies he's worked on to uh, just art he was interested in collecting, and it's just and it all has like a, as I said this macabre kind of aspect to it. So uh, the three of us, Amy and uh, our son, Hayden, and I, all went out there uh, to the Minneapolis Institute of Art to check this out. And we had this happen to us when we got there. This has never happened to us. It's it's a popular exhibit. There's a lot of people going to it. We got the three free passes to, to get in that we got through the comic book store that I work at. And so we, we head on down and we... we there's a there's a ramp that we can go into so for parking. And so we're in the line heading into the ramp. And we're moving up and moving up. And there's a car directly in front of us that's at the gate, ready to head in. And one of the uh, parking attendant people comes out of their little office. And she heads over and she looks at something. And then she starts talking to me and the people behind me saying uh the, the car right there sir you're you're not going to be able to get in that one's the last car that's going to get in it's full <laughs> so, what oh man <laughs> it's full she said but there's another ramp just down a bit to on the right and there's an outdoor parking lot just on the left so we could find parking but the thing was you got to back out of this area so the people behind us end up getting in front of us because because they can, because that's how it's all set up. And he was saying, we should go first. We were here before. Well, yeah, we should, but it's it's not going to work out that way. Well, we found parking. Oh and, oh, and while we were maneuvering out, a woman was walking by, and she was saying, Oh, no, no, stay in line, because I'm going in. I'm going to get to my car. And I said, Well, we'd have to wait until you leave, and then the thing, Then they let us in, and then we have to drive around and find where your spot was. No, I'm sorry, lady. We're not, <laughs> not going to do that. And he just kind of shrugged and left anyway. So we found parking. We got in. It's a really nice museum to uh, art museum it's just great it's connected to the Minneapolis uh, uh, College of Art and Design which was the art school that I was considering going to but I didn't but uh, it's connected to that and um, and there's a children's theater kind of thing that's connected as well and so we go in we get in and we head into this into this exhibit uh, and it was cool it had this cool soundscapes that was you know the speakers playing around with some music kind of going on and and some sounds of like storms and and s- just just some cool stuff that they had put together for it and uh, it's, it's, sometimes you get a little jolt from it to be a little like a shout or uh, a, cro- a clap of thunder or something that would would be kind of oh, oh yeah that's right we're hearing something but the most of the time it just kind of held back and just kind of created a mood and so we head in, the first thing we see is a, is a, is a, uh, a prop uh, sculpture or something that was from Hellboy, one of, the, one of the creature characters that he designed and worked with other artists. Uh, in that case, it was an artist named Mike McNola. Mike McNola is a comic book artist who created Hellboy and did those comic books. And it's, His artwork is, is deceptively simple. It's just excellent stuff, though. Just excellent style, just really cool stuff. I'm gonna say cool a lot, so I better I better cool that. <laughs> we head in, and the, after we see that thing, we come around. There's a little video with uh, Del Toro explaining his collection and what you might see. But uh, we just you know we just want to see the stuff. Let's go let's see the stuff. There were paintings, there were there were comic book pages, there were sculptures and 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 costumes and uh there was these video monitors all around the place playing clips of his movies, which I, I didn't notice it. Hayden did when we went in. He said there was a warning saying that the video clips that they were gonna be showing were rated PG thirteen to rated R. They were from some of his movies, and they would they would have the list of movies that some of this you know Hellboy and Hellboy Two and Devil the Devil's Backbone and and uh, Pan's Labyrinth and and a couple other movies, and 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 Pan's Labyrinth. Amy and I were kind of talking. Us you know, we were thinking, oh, yeah, Amy she was wondering is Hayden old enough? He's thirteen. Is he old enough to maybe see that movie? Uh, is he of the temperament yet to, to maybe handle that movie and I was I don't know, because it's it's a mixture of fantasy, otherworldly, nightmarish kind of world, and the reality world, which is also a nightmarish world. It's 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 a it's a really excellent movie. And, and it it does have some brutal violence in it. And the brutal violence it takes part in the quote unquote real world of it. It the setting is the Spanish Civil War, and there's some military commander who's uh, very ruthless that uh, there's something he does is an act of violence that he does that is very very startling and they showed that in the clips <laughs> the thing that I went eh. <laughs> Hayden was not watching and, she kept, and he kept me uh, a, a lot of times in between uh, any monitor that would be up and, and himself. So his dad just stand there. So that would just keep him from being tempted to look. Because there was no warning as to what you were gonna see. It would just flip through clips and flip through as he went along. So there's that. And then the the, the one of the first things you see after once you get in there is a, uh, is a guy standing there. It's on a little platform, there's a roped off around it, and there's a guy standing there, and and it it looks I thought that guy looks familiar. And it, it was a, uh, I'm going to say a wax sculpture. You know, I don't know if it's a wax sculpture or not, but that's what, you know, it looks like real flesh, and the coloring is right, and the eyes look real, and the hair looks right, and everything. And it's a, a life-size wax sculpture of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, who's kind of an not to, not to be mean or anything, but he's kind of an odd-looking guy, because I, it's not quite as extreme as this, but... He has this this facial, his his jaw and his chin kind of jut just a little, and there's just something about his face that, and and especially the way they presented it there, it, it looked like. Have you seen there's a there's an artist that makes these uh, what uh, certain cartoon characters would look like in real life, or at least he, he did uh, Beavis and ButtHead, and what they would look like if they were real, and and it's not quite that extreme. The H.P. Uh, Lovecraft one. But it had that feel, like it was kind of cartoonish, kinda. It's it's hard to put it on there, but that's, but it l- looked like a real guy standing there, and so uh, that was kind of creepy. <laughs> and so we see that, and we we're looking around, and there's, uh, the, the the I'll just throw out some names of artists that stuff that was up there. We saw some. Uh, Edward Gorey stuff that's, uh, if you've watched uh, Mystery on PBS, uh, back in the old days, I don't know if they still have it, but they they have an animated beginning, and that was uh, uh, Edward Gorey designed those things. So we saw some stuff of his stuff, and we were excited to see that because we like him. Amy and I, we like him as an artist. There was all kinds of other art stuff there that that I don't even, I didn't recognize the name of the artist, of the illustrators and the people that he had up there, but there's just some fantastic, Phenomenally talented people putting stuff up in, that he collected and he had hanging in there. Uh, Del Toro, I mean. And uh, there was uh, uh, um, Richard Corbin. He's a cartoonist, illustrator that worked for um, Heavy Metal Magazine. His style is not exactly the kind that I really dig, but I do, he, I mean, he's really talented. It was cool to see these pages of black and white ink drawings that he did. Uh, i mentioned mike mcnola we saw some original pages from hellboy comic books and we saw some of his sketch work where he was working on uh, on the hellboy movies and some of the design work he did there terrific stuff just looking at it just went wow just look at that that's so good (laughs) and 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 as you're coming around there's uh costumes and there's some really weird stuff too and some some kind of gross looking stuff as well um there's, a, there's there was a, there was a, uh, almost like a wax sculpture. So it wasn't full scale, but a, of, of a nude woman lying on a couch. And when you're looking at it in front, she looks like you know just like a nude woman, uh, curvy and, and soft looking, and all that. And you come around the back of it, and she's got these huge lumps and boils on her back. What a weird thing, but that's that's what she had. And um, uh, uh, there was uh, what else was there? Uh, there were, uh, life-size figures of, uh, from the movie Freaks, the Todd Browning film that he made, I think he made it, yeah, he made it after he made Dracula back in 1930, he made Dracula in 1931, I think he made Freaks in something like 1932 or 33, somewhere around in there, and that movie was banned all over the place because it was really intense, and and it's, it's kind of, it's it's a creepy movie too, and there's a there's a little person. There's a guy that 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 plays like he's like the lead guy in the movie. He's the one that gets gets taken in by by a full sized woman who um, you know just wants his money. She figures he's got money. See, and and there's a there's a life size of him and he's tiny as all hell. And then there's a couple of uh, freaks there. There's a there's a what they call the you know, pinheads. Uh, there's one there of them there that just looks like a real person. There's a little. A duck person kind of thing it's just it's hard to describe but just, so we're going through and seeing this we're seeing little film clips and we're seeing sketches of uh of del toro's own sketches his own sketchbooks with his ideas and you have there's a the the sketchbook would be in a glass case but in front of it would be one of this you know would be a, a an ipad that you could scroll through the pages they would have the pages scanned in there you could scroll through them and, and check it out and um a lot of people there you had to get around a lot of people uh what other artists that we see um uh, there was a couple things that we saw that uh, Amy, uh, had, uh, Hayden, and I were a little ahead of Amy, and so um, I was telling uh, uh, Hayden when I, I looked down the wall and I could see that there was a painting by Chris Mars. Now Chris Mars used to be the drummer for the Replacements, that band, the Replacements, and Chris Mars happens to be a really good friend of a really good friend of mine. I've met Chris a couple, of few times through my friend Dave, and. Um, and i've been actually to chris's house chris was out of town and dave was house sitting so I, I was over and he's got a really really excellent house with all this kind of neat stuff that i'm into uh... you know uh, universal monster stuff and and he's and he's but he's an excellent artist he does disturbing looking art but he's just excellent and and so it was cool to see that wow del toro has a has you know, of course he does because he likes good art, and Chris Mars got a piece there. So, so I'm, I'm looking back for Amy, and she, I see her, and I kind of, you know, nod my head toward it. and She sees it, and she gets, I can see the big smile light up on her face. She's, like, oh, good. And then, um, at uh, some other point, we came around, and there was a, a Francis Bacon piece of art, and Francis Bacon was a very disturbed individual at least his artwork was and this the piece that uh, that was on display there wasn't quite as disturbing as some of this stuff but i i we came around this corner hayden and i and i looked at him and i saw the bacon said, oh that's francis that's francis bacon your mom's gonna get excited about that and and, then she comes around the corner i'm looking at her and she and i see her see it she just her face lights up and she looks at me she gives me like a double thumbs up kind of like ah look at that (laughs) so uh it was great and there was this one room Where they had shelves of comic books now here was a moment where i could say to hayden i said well i have that comic book and that one and those two there and this one over there so i have a few things in my collection (laughs) that uh are in common with uh uh, guillermo del toro but that's about it um and i think and it wasn't necessarily the highlight but i think of, of the original artwork for me, I think what's uh, kind of a highlight was um, uh, I had recently been on The Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules, which is a podcast from a friend of mine, and it, um, we we did a show, uh, he and I and uh, a couple other fellows that are part of his... Uh, um, his uh, uh, a group of occasional guest hosts or something what like he calls them something something like that gooch he calls us i can't remember exactly what each letter stands for but he came up with something and uh so he had us on to talk about uh, uh an artist who had just died a comic book artist and an illustrator and his name is bernie wrightson and he was terrific and he was largely self-taught i blogged about him it's right after he had died I'll link to that in the show notes which, so you can check out the stuff I'm talking about. And we mentioned his master work, which was uh, 50 illustrations, about 50 illustrations, for a book that was, uh, I think it was released in the early 80s or late 70s, somewhere around there. Um, he, he worked on it for seven years, black and white illustrations that look like woodcuts, but they're pen and ink illustrations of the, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And they're just absolutely brilliant. And there was something that, uh, that Douglas, the host of uh, Two Headed Space Meals, had said while we were do- having our discussion was that something he learned that uh, uh, Wrightson had decided that he's not going to white out any mistakes. If he makes a mistake, he's going to start over again. So I was—I there were half a dozen at least pages or uh, illustration boards or whatever he was wor- working on of original pieces from that 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 collection uh you know the frankenstein thing oh oh man i just i looked at him oh look at that and i was doing this the whole time i'm taking my glasses off because i'm very nearsighted and i take my glasses off and i put my face right in there wouldn't touch the stuff because i don't want to damage it and they don't want you touching things so so i'm cognizant of that but man i'd get in there close and i didn't see any white out in those illustrations uh, but that that was great. And one of the highlights there, uh, the the wax figures that there were uh, I mentioned H.P. Lovecraft and the uh, the characters from the movie Freaks they were in there. There was um, Edgar Allan Poe sitting at a chair. They had a little corner for him, and they had these two you know kind of video windows next to him or something where they would played you could see the rain was running across the window and you could see trees out there kind of blowing in it's, it's it's at night but it's just kind of twilight night you know and then you could hear the storm sounds so that was kind of a cool setup and uh what else what other figures there were there there was the uh, the pale man from from uh, pan's labyrinth that's the guy with the eyeballs and the palms of his hand hayden thought that was pretty nifty um and uh my favorite bit was there was a uh, kind of a diorama Set up uh, uh, of a scene from *Bride of Frankenstein*, it's where uh, the monster uh, Boris Karloff is sitting on a couch with uh, the bride uh, Elsa Lancaster, I think her name is, Um, and he's got he's holding her hand and she's looking at him holding she's looking at the hands and she's got this kind of surprised look on her face. She's just about to scream at him and reject him, which he was just looking for a friend. And standing behind them is uh, Doctor. Dang it! I wish I could remember his name. I don't remember the name of the other actor either. Uh, but it's just this creepy doctor that got uh, Doctor Frankenstein to create the the bride, and it's, he's standing back there. And these are life size uh, wax figures, if that's what they are, wax. But it they were just so cool, so cool looking. I told you I was going to say cool a lot. But there was one little aspect about that that I thought was unusual, or that felt kind of weird to me they seemed small. You know, when you watch the movie, the monster has a, has a bigger presence in the movie. And when I was standing there looking at them, I thought, I thought you know, it's life size. Karloff, it's, it, it's that big and she's that big. You know, this is life size. And I was standing there looking at them thinking, they seem smaller somehow, even though they're life size. Oh, kids, I tell you, if you get a chance to see it, like I said, if you're in Minneapolis, When, uh, you know, now until, uh, what is it, Uh, May 28th, if you're in town, get over to the minneapolis institute of art and check out this exhibit if you're in canada in ontario look for where it's going to be i know ontario ontario is a province so uh you know it's there's a lot of space there but there's got to be some way you know look online maybe i'll try to find it and put it on the show notes so you can, can check it out when that shows up there if if you can get to see this thing i i can't recommend it more highly tell you well I'm a little over for break so uh, you're listening to dimland radio for uh, at the Z talk radio network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host Jim dr. dim Fitzsimmons I will return oh in a you just you know just in a bit
1: identification. You're listening
0: to z Radio Network.
1: Operating frequency on ztalkradio.com Did you see that UFO sighting that made the news? What did that latest study about alternative treatments really say? Is this photo making the rounds real or a hoax? Doubtful News is a unique website featuring news about pseudoscience, the paranormal, anomalies, and questionable claims framed with a skeptical view. Come visit doubtfulnews.com every day for news about cryptozoology, conspiracies, shams, scams, and more. Follow us on Twitter at News. Critical thinking is essential in assessing today's news. Doubtful News helps you decide, can you really believe this stuff? Oh Lord, can somebody tell me what my future holds? Hey, man, you think I can get a reading? Wrong answer. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Dr. Dim. Jim Fitzsimmons, only on Z Talk Radio. This is Meryl Streep. There's so much in life we can't control. But here's something we can colorectal cancer. It's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., but it is almost entirely preventable. Screening finds polyps so they can be removed before they turn into cancer. If you're over 50, get screened for colorectal cancer. Screening saves lives. It could really save your life. For more information, call one 800 cdc Info. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Mm, 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 Wake up listen to Z-Talk Radio on ZTalkRadio.com.
0: me uh, having a sip of beer <laughs> that break was a little quicker than i expected hey you're listening to dimland radio on the z talk radio network at ztalkradio.com and i'm your host jim dr Simmons. and i should mention that all the bumpers those are the songs that lead in and out of the breaks I think that's what the, the lingo is in in radio land. Uh, all the bumpers tonight are by uh, the great, the awesome, the terrific, the best songwriter ever to exist and ever in in, in the span of of rock music songwriting, uh, Pete Townsend. I, I'm a little biased because I'm a huge fan of Pete Townsend's work, and and uh, so every bumper tonight. Is a, a solo song by Pete Townsend, not not a Who song, a Pete Townsend song, because as I record this show on May 19th, it is his birthday. He's he turns 72 today, and he's still not old. Cause he hasn't died yet. Uh, I hope I die before I get old. Thing, you know what I'm saying? It's that. Okay. All right. What have I got next? <clears throat> Oh, I have... Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, I have to call this up. So, uh, just bear with me for a moment here. Uh, uh, this is what I've got. I, I, I've got one of these things. Uh, hang on. Uh, there.
1: And now, it's time for a dimland Radio Pedantic Moment. Yeah, this ought to be good.
0: Okay... Somebody uh, put this on Facebook the other day, and this pedantic moment by, might be a little twist on you. You might not expect the way I'm going to head with it, but oh, stop it, stop it. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you do the show live to laptop. I, I'm not editing that out, but let's... Uh, uh, let's pretend we didn't hear that. Let's, uh, let's pretend that that, uh, that song didn't play. So, uh, <clears throat> okay, we're going to do this again.
1: And now it's time for a dimland Radio Pedantic Moment. Yeah, this ought to be good.
0: Yeah, that's quite a build-up, isn't it? Because I screwed up the damn thing because this, thing's a, this laptop's gotten a little touchy <laughs> since it's been updated with the new hard drive. All right, so, <clears throat> what am I talking about? I am talking about, what am I pedantic about? The other day, somebody posted something about, uh, you know, asking if black is a color. Oh, and I got everybody going, and know, uh black's not a color. Yeah, actually, black's not a color, because they say black, if you're talking about light, uh, it's the absence of color. Uh, that's why it's black. So that's that's what, you know, what you're talking about, light. Uh, if you happen to be talking about pigment, well, then what you're looking at there is that it's all the colors kind of mixed in makes black. Say, so that's all you're... No, no, no. I'm not going to be that sort of a pedant. Although that is proper pedantry. No, no. My pedantry is black is a color. Why? <laughs> if you were to ask me, or if somebody were to ask you, what color clothes does Dim wear? Um, he wears black. What? But black's not a color. No, no, no. I wear black colors, uh, black clothes. Black pants, black socks, black t-shirt, black sweatshirt. Uh, I have a black dress shirt. Uh, I have black ties. Uh, my underwear? Well, my underwear? Well, it's, um, you know, that can be different because, well, it's underwear and You know, I might want to be a little, (laughs) a little, maybe freaky down there, maybe, you know. So, uh, it could be, you know, any kind of color, really. Yeah, all right, it's black too. So, anyway, black is a color. And really, my, my, my big argument for this that black is a color. Is that you know when I when you were a kid, if you're like me, and if you're close to my age, uh, there was something that you coveted as a child, and that was the 64 crayon set by Crayola, the 64 one. That's the one. Oh, every kid looked at that. If you didn't have one of them and one of your classmates did, you just looked at them with green with envy. Oh, man, I wish I had that color. Oh, that's that 64 colors. Oh, man, what I could do with 64 colors. That's, that's, that's what you do. And you know what was neat about them, too? In the, in the little case that they came in was a, was a built-in sharpener. And that was cool, and you know why? Because, well, you could sharpen your, your, your crayons in there, and then it had a little flap on the bottom where all the, where all the shavings would collect, and you could pop that open and drop them out on some paper, and you get all these multicolored shavings on there, and that was neat, and you could do that. So it was great, but, okay, so you get 64 colors in that Crayola set of crayons. You open it up, and one of the colors is black, you take the thing out, it's got, it's right, it, they have, they've written right on the little paper sleeve, it says black on there. It doesn't, and the box doesn't say 63 colors and black. No, it says 64 colors, and black is one of them. White is also a color, and there can be arguments about is white a color? Well, I mean, you know, actually, when you're talking about light, and then black or white is is all the colors. You see when you get a you get a get a prism and you pass the light through that, then it splits it into the other different colors that that we can see. And then there's other colors, yeah. You know, these infrared and and ultraviolet. We can't see those, but other living creatures can see those colors. But you see, when it's all together, it looks white. See, that was all. So when you're talking light, when you're talking pigment, well, then I don't know what the hell's going on there. <laughs> so. Black, my friends, the official policy here at Dimland Radio is that black is a color. Okay, It's the color of my heart. <laughs> it's the color of my clothes. Uh, it's just a color. I just wear black just because it's not because, you know I can make the you know, the David Sanborn joke. Back in the days of David Letterman, and he'd have David Sanborn, who was a saxophone player. He would, on occasion, set in with the band, and then at some point, he became part of the band. But uh, you know, once in a while, he'd be there, and he, you know, the saxophone would. Know, saxophone can be a little, eh. Some, it works if it's done right, but man, sometimes it's a little, eh, Especially in the '80s, there was a something with the saxophone in the '80s. It just was really annoying. Ask my wife; she'll tell you anyway so David Sanborn was this musician guy who played saxophone he'd sit in with the band on Letterman and 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 there they would do the viewer mail thing remember the viewer mail you know letters we get lots and lots of letters and they do the, ver- the, the, the the viewer mail and uh, uh, one of the viewers had written in why does uh, why does David Sanborn wear black all the time because that's what he did that was his look he just wore black all the time nice sharp looking suits and looking pretty good but black. And, and so they asked him about it. So why do you do that? And he says, I'm going to be wearing black until this war in Vietnam is over. And they, they, everybody pauses, and Dave kind of, uh, uh, well, David, uh, you know, the war in Vietnam has been over since 1975 or something. <laughs> and Sandborn's like, Really? it has and then he tears off whatever he's wearing and he's got some either white suit or something multicolored underneath that or something like that. So, I could say I wear black because you know until this war in Vietnam is over but no, it's nothing it's nothing metaphysical, it's nothing deep or anything like that. I feel comfortable in it. I think I look good in it and I don't really have to think about it. Just reach into the drawer, grab out the pants, grab out the shirt, grab out the underwear and socks and all that and it's just no thinking, just put it on and you're and you're good to go. That's all it is. See? I saw this also on, the, on Facebook. Um, a Facebook friend, I don't really know this guy, it's just, you know, it's a Facebook friend. You know, it's a, kind of that acquaintance, that just see some posts by him once in a while. And, and he posted this thing, and I'll read you what he wrote. Apparently the guy's an atheist because I, I do have a lot of atheist Facebook friends and a fair amount of skeptic Facebook friends. And then there are other people mix in there. A lot of lefties, but there's some conservative folks in there. So I get to see a little bit of both sides of the thing. And and most of the time, so I, I even put it up on uh, as a comment once. I said, you know, I think Facebook ought to just change its name to Trump book because it seems like you know, there's for every 10 posts, seven or eight of them are about Trump. You know what happened to the cat videos? Please bring back the cat videos. <laughs> we found them annoying. I found I found them annoying for a little bit, for a while. But bring them back. Bring back the cat videos, please. This is the Trump stuff is just getting. But I understand. I understand the man's. Uh, the man is the man is challenging, and we just. I just don't know. I just don't know what's. I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't know. But this Facebook friend had uh, had said that, uh, he put this up. He says, in an attempt to shorten the argument about how I feel about religion, I came up with this. If you are religious, F you. He didn't say F, but I, I don't use the F word on the show very often. So, I'll say shit and asshole. I'll say those things. But I, I just don't use the the f-bomb it's kind of the standard that the sgu the skeptics guide to the universe they use although once in a while an an f-bomb does float does get by their editing process but i i don't know it's not that it's just a word it doesn't really matter but i you know i just don't i just don't say fuck on the show very often okay so anyway i saw that and i thought well my first comment was well you've just guaranteed that you're going to lose every argument you're going to lose the argument every time with that attitude. Now, perhaps what the fellow meant was he just doesn't even want to get it started. Because you know, that, that's not an argument. What he's saying there is not an argument. It's not a point. It's not a debating point. It's not a, a bit of evidence. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not an argument. It's just an insult. It's just telling somebody to shut up. I don't like the idea of people saying, you know, if you, uh, if, uh, well, if you voted for Trump, you can just unfriend me right now. Oh, come on. Keep the people around. See what they're posting. Uh, try to understand them. You know, it doesn't mean that you're going to agree with them, and you're not going to change their minds, more than likely. But you know, the, the Heinegan ad that came out online, there was a five-minute ad thing where they got people uh, together. You know, two pe- two strangers we get together. First, they would they would talk about something that they feel strongly about. One guy feels strongly about uh, the fact that global climate change is happening and human beings are largely responsible for it. And then another, another guy was he doubted that global climate change is happening and he thought it was a, a you know a way of government to ins- uh, assert more control over its citizens and to you know get more money out of us and threaten our jobs and things like that. And then there was, you know, another fellow that just just didn't understand trans people, didn't understand the things. You know, there's men and women, and that's how it is, and blah, 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 that kind of thing. And then there was, uh, you know, a person who happened to be trans and and talking about uh, her experience, and, and you know, they, they do that thing. And then uh, then it was a couple other uh, other people, and. Then these, these people, so they, 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 they meet each other, and they're supposed to do this task. They're supposed to put together what turns out to be a bar. They put it together, and then two beers are set on the bar, and, and they're Heinegens, and, which is, you <laughs> you <Heinegens. laughs> one person that uh, wrote a piece that was against this thing, uh, she did have a good point about the Heinegens. She's, she called it the Coors Light of European beer because <laughs> that's kind of what you're looking at there, except that would be Amstead or Amstel, whatever, never mind don't get sidetracked. Anyway, so so they have the people do this task and while they're doing it they're talking to each other and they're you're, you're getting to know each other a little bit. Oh, I guess we have to do this and they're kind of, you know, and they're and they're they're being pleasant with each other and all that. And then they show okay, now bef- now before you know, now that your task is done, here are the beers. Before you sit down, we want you to watch this video. And they show the video. They show the guy that has a little problem with trans people and the trans person. They show the two. You know, they showed that video. And so, oh, okay, this guy's learned something. And then there's the person who has a little problem with the, the global warming is happening, and the other one that does not have a problem with it happening and thinks that we should do something to stop it. They show that video, so they have to think about. It. And then the other two people, I think, this guy that just had some real chromatic ideas about what women should be doing, and the other woman was a feminist and who thinks that, you know, the equal rights for women and an opportunity and, and things like that. And, and so they show them this. I say, now you have a choice. You can sit down. at the, They made it like a little corner of a bar, which is you always want the corner. Oh, uh, you want the corner when you're at the bar. So your friend can sit on the one side and you can sit on the other. And You can kind of, you know, it's easier to talk to each other that way. The corner, it's, that's always good. So they, they make it so it's a little corner. They put the two beers there and they say, you can sit down and you can each have a beer. You can do that, share a beer and talk, or you can go away. You can just leave. And the guy who had the problem with the trans stuff, he, he you know, the transgender stuff, uh, he starts to walk off. And so, oh, but then he turns right around. He says, oh, come on. And they sit down and they talk. And it's, it's, and it's kind of a, hey, look, guess what? We, you're starting to, it's, you know, if you, if you wanted the echo chamber, you'd walk away. If you if you leave it open for a chance to discuss, a chance to talk to each other about it, maybe you can change the other person's mind, but maybe you'll just come to an understanding. And and you know, it's just it's. It, I thought that was a a nice idea. Sure, it's all manipulation and all that kind of crap. That's what everything is. Movies are about man- manipulating. Television is manipulating. My show is well, sort of. I don't know, but. There was pe- there were people that would write that this is bad this is not right and this is you know this is uh, this is just ugh, it's, you know and I and I, I when somebody sh- shared that uh, reaction on Facebook I put in the thing and I said oh great you know this is great now I've got somebody that's telling me that we shouldn't that you know not talking to each other is a good thing and you know it's not we should talk to each other uh, we may not be able to convince each other and it, 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 it might be futile and then at some point you might say you know we've talked. I understand your position, but I don't agree, and I'm not going to change and it's just, it's not worth talking anymore, but he gave it a chance. Anyway, I got more to say about this, this argument thing, um, but uh, I have to go to another break. Oh, man, these breaks, they come fast and fierce, and then they end so quickly. Here's another awesome uh, Townsend song that you heard just a little bit of before when I hit the wrong button. Okay, all right, I'll be back after this break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Talk Radio Network. Listening to Z-Talk Radio Network.
1: network more listening to z talk radio's redheaded stepchild it's dr dim on dim Land radio on the z talk radio network
0: on the go and missing another one of your favorite z talk shows now you don't have to simply go to the google play store on your android phone and download the z talk radio app The best part is, it's absolutely free. That's Z-Talk Radio. Only found in your Google Play Store and your Android phone. Download it today. You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already.
1: You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network.
0: And welcome back to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, I was talking about this the, the Heineken ad, but I pretty much cut. I think I, you know, I think communication is good. Okay, that's that's my point. Let's talk. Let's hear. Don't lock yourself into an echo chamber. Don't cut off all the people you disagree with. You know, if they're if they're being honest about themselves and 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 and, and about their opinions, you know. Just, you just pay attention. Just see what they're saying. And maybe you'll... I don't know. Maybe you'll just... Be, you'll understand their arguments. So if they try to argue with you, you will already know what they're going to say. That kind, of, that kind of helps. But the thing is... So this guy says he doesn't want to... Essentially, he's saying, I don't want to talk to people about religion. So I tell them, F you. If they're religious. Which isn't... I, I don't think it's the best policy. But... um uh, another person commented and asked, How would you feel about someone who believed in God but isn't a shitty person? The original poster's response was the idea that, uh, you know, he, he said that, uh, um, you know, good people will do good things, bad people will do bad things, but in order to get good people to do bad things, you need religion or something to that effect which is uh, yeah I, I i understand that but you know you don't just need necessarily religion to do that because sometimes you you know you could use a mob to do it mob mentality during mob mentality taking place people as individual will do things that they would not do as individuals it's a, they they may th- not even think about doing but when they get pulled into the mob ginned up by anger or whatever they you know they might do something that they just wouldn't otherwise do so it doesn't necessarily have to be religion but yeah it took religion i i, I think it's pro i think i'm on safe ground here it took religion to get you know 19 guys to try to fly to fly planes into buildings on 9 11 and you know it uh, well not all of them were successful because on one of the planes that they hijacked the the uh, passengers fought back Which is what happened that day. There was no holograms. It wasn't any missiles. It wasn't any of that crap. It wasn't controlled demolition. It was, that's what it was. I'm telling you. Anyway, when the person asked that question about believing in God and not being shitty people, I responded to her by saying, you just described my parents. They believe in God. They're not shitty people. It's just, just to dismiss out of hand, yeah. it's, I, I'm never comfortable with that. So the guy was not making an argument, and he wanted to put himself in an echo chamber, and I thought that was not a good idea. If, you, if you're going to respond that way, which isn't an argument, it's just telling somebody to shut up, but if you want to call it an argument, you're going to lose it every time. You're going to lose that argument. And if you're happy with that, content with that, and people leave you alone about talking about religion, well then, well, I suppose you, I suppose you win, maybe. Okay, um, I have a story. I hope I can get this done. Okay, I have a friend that uh, um, lives out in Connecticut, and he has his own, uh, he has his own business. He and a partner. It's a landscaping kind of thing. And he told me earlier this week, he says, well, we have the unpleasant task of having to fire somebody. Uh, he said, this week, we're going to fire this guy that's worked for us for 16 years. He's working for a long time. And I guess there are some aspects of his job that the guy does well, but he's, I guess he's a little lazy, uh, shirks responsibility a bit. He, and and his, his behavior is kind of poisoning the well. You know, the other employees are kind of, what's this going on here? and So he's describing to me what this guy does a little bit. And I said, oh, man, that sounds like a guy I used to work with. Now, I've told this story on the show before, but it was a long time ago before the iTunes thing. So I'm going to tell it again for those of you who are listening on iTunes. Uh, or wherever you get your podcast Because I think it goes up on other stuff, too. Not just iTunes. Uh, people have found it on other... No, I'm not on iTunes. Well, where do you get your podcast? Well, look for it there. And they find it. So so if you're not on iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, look and see if you can find Dimline Radio. It might be on there. And if you like the show, would it hurt you to put a good review and a rating on iTunes if you are on the iTunes? Would it hurt? And to tell somebody else, maybe subscribe to it. The guy talks about stuff and... He's somewhat interesting and occasionally funny. So, anyway. So my friend asked me, well, go ahead, give me one of the stories. I said, I've got stories about this guy. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I can't write it because we were chatting through Facebook. I said, you, you're going to have to call me so I can tell you the story. So he, so he called. And I said, okay, here, i got to set this up. This guy... Worked at, this was the silk screening shop that I worked at as an artist for a while. And then I left for about a year or so. Then I came back and I worked in the office. And so when I came back to work in the office, I was working every day directly with this guy because he was the office manager. Although he didn't manage me. He, just, he was just senior customer service, really. But anyway, he'd been there for a long time at that point. Maybe even more than 15 years at that point. He'd been there for a long time. And he could he he was excellent at shirking work. He was good at customer service. He was good at schmoozing customers and that kind of thing he, that he was good at because he had to be good at it because he would screw up their jobs all the time and he would have to somehow get them to under you know think that uh, no we're on top of it you know they can they could come in angry and he would send them out smiling and laughing instead of just you know just do the job right and they wouldn't have to come in angry. So anyway. He used to live in the building in which the shop was located. He lived in the building. The office hours were from 9 till 5. He could not get get to work on time. He could not get to work before 10 o'clock in the morning. It just didn't happen. Sometimes he'd roll in at quarter after 10 or quarter to 11. He just just couldn't. And first break for the employees that work full-time was at 11 o'clock, 15-minute break. He would come in sometimes at quarter to 11. He'd get to his desk, he'd look through some stuff, check his email, whatever. 11 o'clock would show up, and he'd go out and get a cup of coffee. I was there since maybe 8 o'clock. I said, where are you going? (laughs) And now he wouldn't put down full-time hours, but this is something he would do. He would add a half hour to his time card every day because he maintained he was unable to take breaks even though half of his day was a break he'd be sitting there reading the newspaper or talking with one of the bosses or chatting with me or chatting with somebody else or he just looking on the internet doing whatever and it's you don't you don't get to take breaks so so he would be adding that half hour onto his day now he wouldn't put down full-time hours he would just punch in when he got there and punch in when he left Which, that's to his credit, but then he was taking eight hours, you know, the kind of, you know, a half hour uh, of break time, which is what you would get in eight hours, but you don't even work eight hours. All right, so that establishes then, if we take him at his word and he's unable to take breaks, every minute that he's there in the office, he's on company time. This story most best encapsulates his work ethic and the kind of guy he was and what he was like to work with. He uh, and his wife decided they were going to get a new car. And he's one of those people that does the consumer reports things, and he studies the Internet, and he scours it for all the information he can find. And it's probably a good idea to do that, to find the right car for you, yourself and all that, what you want. And so he would do that. he would do that on work time because he could never take breaks. And one day, he was on the phone talking to a salesman at the car dealership from whom or from which whatever he and his wife are going to buy this car i don't know what kind of car they end up getting some volkswagen thing he's talking to the salesman i'm at my desk talking to a customer on the phone one of the printers comes in and sits at the front desk well, has a computer on it. And he checks his email or he just checks something online because he had finished printing a job and he was just waiting for the shirt folders to give him a final count to make sure everything was there before he tore down that job and set up the next one. So he's checking out. The phone rings. So both the office people are on the phone. Well, the printer says, I'll get it. He answers the phone. It's for the office manager. He puts the customer... Well, we didn't know it was a customer at that point, but he puts the person on hold. He turns to the office manager and says, you know, line, whatever for you. He says, meh, 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 I'm still on the phone with a customer, with my customer. He's still, the office manager, is still on the phone talking to his car dealer guy. I'm looking at this line blinking that's on hold. I'm looking at that. And after I don't know how long, but a while, I call down, I, I, I say down to the, because I'm, I'm up in the loft, I'm up above the, the, the front desk and the office manager's desk. I call down to the printer that's still at the front desk, and I said, does he know that the line's waiting for him? And then the the office manager says, and then he tells, the office manager tells the printer, why don't you get on the phone and and have the person, you know, get their name and their phone number, and I'll call them back. Printer picks up the line, says that, and the customer just says, well, I'll just call back in a few minutes. So, okay, fine. They hang up, tells the office manager, they'll call back in a few minutes. I get off the phone with whomever I was talking to, the office manager he gets off the phone with his car dealership guy and immediately gets back on the phone to call his wife to talk about what he just talked about with his salesman phone rings i answer it it's i'm assuming at this point the same person looking for the office manager i said hold on put him on hold call down to him so and so line whatever is for you well he continues to talk to his wife for maybe half a minute at most but it's just it's still kind of a long time to leave what's probably a customer on hold finally he picks up the phone it is a customer he deals with them okay so that's i mean that's kind of the deal but you know so that's that's that was his attitude right now remember he doesn't take breaks so he's on co- the customer time or company time the whole time he's doing per- his personal business making a customer wait on hold and making them call back here's the the button the nice bow to tie on the top of this of this story while he was on the phone talking to the salesman doing his personal business on company time making a customer wait on hold for however long it was and then making the customer call back and then wait on hold for a little bit more, he told the car dealer guy, he said, uh, my wife and I are going with you guys this time because the dealership we worked with last time we bought a car, uh, we didn't like their customer service. It was pretty bad. I'm in customer service. I know what good customer service is. Yeah, he knows what good customer service is. Just doesn't know how to give it. That's the guy. <laughs> and I put up... There was lots of stories about him, but I'm telling you, that, that's perfect. When I told this story to uh, uh, my friend Dave, who worked with us and knew this guy, knew this guy for a long time, worked with him at a different job years before, when I told him about it, and I, then I told him what, the guy, what he said on the phone, and I, I may not have the words exactly right, but that was pretty much what he said. Dave just went, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's him. That's him, all right. All right, before I clear out of here... I do have a movie recommendation. Uh, since I started the show talking about Guillermo del Toro, I thought I'd uh, recommend one of his movies. It's called *The Devil's Backbone*. It was released in uh, 2001. Uh, it's, a, it's available through Netflix, but I think you have to get the DVD. Uh, it is—it's terrific. It's in Spanish, so there's subtitles. It's—it's um, it's set all, it's, uh, just like um, uh, *Pan's Labyrinth*. It's set during the Spanish Civil War. Uh, in that. That part of the world, and there's this orphanage that's trying to stay unnoticed by the Spanish government and by the forces that are fighting the Spanish government. It's trying to stay unnoticed, and they have children in there, and it's not very, it's very poor, and they're they're trying to you know just kind of make it make it through. But there's a treasure hidden in that in that orphanage. It's a it's a cache of uh, uh, a bunch of gold coins, I think it is, and there's a um, there's a hired hand kind of guy that is an unsavory character, and we learn just how unsavory he is as the movie goes up, goes along. And there's also a ghost, a ghost of a young child, and it's the way Del Toro he directs it and he co-wrote it with a couple other fellows. The way he directs it, it's just he in, incorporates the ghost in with this story. It's really well done. Uh, uh, it's terrific it's got some kind of some harsh images here and there uh, but the uh, it's a beautiful film it's just super well done and it's well worth your time so uh, check out the devil's wishbone no (laughs) the devil's backbone sorry devil's wishbone that's uh that's some other thing that's what you can get at kentucky fried chicken uh so yeah check it out devil's backbone look for it on netflix or wherever you can find a movie
1: good night Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher.
0: Well, goodness me, got to the end of another show. So, um, well, be skeptical and extraordinary claims, of course, they require extraordinary evidence. Uh, uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network again. If you have, if you're in Minneapolis between now and the 28th of this month, go to the Minneapolis Art Museum and check out the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Check it out. I'll see you next week. Sleep with the lights off. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option. And you can email your questions and comments to dr dim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network.
1: And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks, Thanks for, for tuning us in.
0: My life, you're clever, Jimmy, You've certainly taken me in. Well, well I'm going well, to hell. hell.